those who are new here or may not know me, my name is Joseph, um, and uh, I've spoke here a couple weeks ago about uh, the continuing series that we're doing here uh, concerning life-controlling issues, addictions, things of that sort. So today, uh, we're going to talk about the uh, breaking the chains that bind us, um, and uh, in the name of the series, it's free to be. Uh, it's been about a year ago that HL approached me about being a part of this series. Um, my story, I won't go through it. I'm not here today to talk to my, about my story, but just a little background real quick. Um, my, I'm, a, I'm an addict, um, and uh, I've lived uh, my life being controlled by many outside issues, and my message is one of hope and, and of recovery. And uh, when he asked me to be a part of this, I, I told him actually before I was geared to speak, I said, I really would love to have someone special speak. Uh, I, I think this lady's story is awesome. Um, it's very near and dear to me. Um, she uh, has come through so much, and um, she had contributed it all to God's grace. And without too much more to say, because I'm going to let her tell her story, I want to introduce you to my wife, Molly Bond. And let's see if I can... Figure out how to turn this thing on. There we go. There you go. Morning. All right. So she picked this picture of herself to show. So we'll kind of leave that one up there. I think it's kind of cute. When that picture was taken, I was a, a senior in high school, so I didn't know her then. So, um, but anyway, so tell us a little bit about who you are and, and uh, kind of give us some background of, of um, I don't know, just... Share who you are. Hmm. <laughs> We've tried to cover this. <laughs> I wouldn't be too long or too short. Um, I think where you want me to start is just the beginning part. Of, um, this is home to me. Kentucky's always been home. Louisville's been home to me. Um, grew up in a single parent family. Uh, my mom strictly raised me. My dad was um, always in a different state. We saw him on occasion. Um, I have one brother who's younger than I am and um, spent some time really not without a much of a church background. We went to a Baptist church where my mom would drop, drop us off in the morning and come back and pick us up. And then as I got older, um, I went to a Christian school and some of the parents would then take me to church with them. Uh, at a at a different Christian church, so I I became more aware of a, a basic relationship with who God is and um, what church was. Um, it, it's just a very general understanding and a and a knowledge that the people that I was surrounded with seemed like pretty decent people. So something that I wanted to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when I spoke, I, I did a um, uh, video about cardboard testimonies. Mm -hmm. And on our way here this morning, I, I asked you, what, what would be your cardboard testimony? So, um, I think the front of mine, if you all know what those are, those cardboard where you, you, you hold them up and show where you began or what, what you've struggled with in life. And, um, then you flip them over and the backside is more of what you've become today. So I would say the front of mine would be continual despair. Um, I feel like I've lived in a, a state of a lot of 
disappointment, um, desperate longing to be uh, accepted and understood and, and just to be loved, honestly. Um, and through a series of some big events in my life, felt the despair uh, of the loss of God completely and not really knowing um, where he would be in my life through these circumstances. Mm -hmm. But then when you flip it over, um, through time, I, I would say overwhelming um, gratitude. I, I just have a complete gratefulness for where I am today and, and, and what God has provided, not only for us, but for me, and, and just the ability to believe that he is who he says he is. So you said you went to Christian school, and you, know, you went off uh, to college, um, and you studied journalism. And uh, talk a little bit about that, because you had kind of an interesting story when it comes to what you did with journalism. Yeah, so um, <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of always a character. Um, I wanted to interview characters, so I went to school um, to, and I have a journalism degree. Mine's in, in, in print journalism. I, I actually worked in television broadcast for quite a while, um, and then ended up in print journalism being an entertainment reporter. So, well, talk about that. Okay. <laughs> Don't just leave us hanging. So. Okay. You met some so, interesting characters. I did. I, I did. I, I was in entertainment and mm. I was a celebrity reporter, um, entertainment reporter. Um, I did a lot of other things. I still reported wrecks and accidents and deaths and all that, but I, but I did get the pleasure of meeting quite a bit um, of celebrities. I would um, interview them beforehand and then come back, go to a show or a concert and, and come back and write stories about them. So I met some interesting people. Joan Rivers, um, Richard Simmons was probably the most interesting. We rode around in a limousine and he hung out the top and um, threw glitter everywhere. <laughs> we, he was, but he was very generous and very kind. And um, so I met a lot of fun people. Joan, Joan Rivers was very nice. Um, some people who surprised me that seemed very um, interesting, but then once you got to know them, they, they weren't very open to getting to new, know new people. So it, it, was, it was an interesting job. Mm -hmm. So now, by that time, you were married, right? And living in Florida? Mm -hmm. we, we had Could a you talk about your marriage just a little bit? Small stint mm -hmm. in uh, Florida for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we, we met right after college, right after. And um, I was told by some other people that it, you know, maybe not a best, the best choice for me, but um, I was determined that I saw something different. We got married within a couple of months, um, moved to Florida right away, sold everything I had, my car included, went down to Florida. And um, I remember probably within a couple of months looking for an apartment for just me um, and wondering how I would actually get through the, the constant anger that we, that we struggled with and the, um, the, the fighting and the dark times that we shared together as a, as a couple. Okay, so when you talk about darkness, was, uh, talk a little bit about the, the control issues and the um, the abuse and the emotional abuse and uh, so I I guess I at the time I wouldn't have called it that because I, I, I didn't know anything else I I got married really young and um, 
I, I knew from the beginning when we were dating, he had gone through um, the windshield of a car in a drunk driving accident um, be, because that was how, you know, we spent most every weekend was out drinking and um, to, to excess. And so he actually went through the windshield and I was driving by with a friend and saw his car by the side of the road. It was crunched up and um, the officer told me where he was in the hospital and I went to pull glass out of his head in the hospital. And so from, from there on, we, we, we struggled with, with, with that being an issue and not just because of that, but, but there was a, there was a constant, um, oppression of, uh, th this is kind of more of a leadership. This is in a, in a negative way. This is what I say we should do. And this is how it's going to be done. And, and there was a lot of um, responsibility placed on me in order to make things run smoothly. And um, I, I always seem to fall short of that. So um, we, we spent a lot of years um, trying to figure things out, I think um, I did. I, I, I always ask God, what was I doing wrong? Um, why couldn't this go more smoothly? When would we have a happy times that we would enjoy being around each other? And I, and I, I just remember thinking, I, I don't even like this person. Mm. So let's talk about these guys. So somehow they did come along. Uh, <laughs> Um, so, over time, um, I, I learned um, what the kind of what the formula was. Basically, um, we, we we did have a family that that functioned on the outside, um, and every year um, the outfits would change. They all matched. My tree was redecorated every year, and all the ornaments I made them. I um, decorated, they, they matched actually the uniforms that we would wear in the pictures. And behind that picture is me saying, stop, don't do that again. Don't smile pretty, that's an ugly smile. Don't do that, quit poking her, that's not cute. Bend over more, no, lean in, don't let the dog lick you. So behind this cute thing is a lot of uh, ugly words, but it all looked really cute on the outside. And when we went to church, we, we all looked like that. Um, and when we came home, it was a completely different story. So talk about that. What, what was different uh, on the outside from what was really going on on the inside? There was, there, there, and, and, you know, this is not all on any one person. There, there was a, a lot of, um, there was a lot of anger in, in the house and, um, expectations as to how things would go and and I constantly looked for ways to uh, adapt and adjust to so that we wouldn't have an issue and we wouldn't have any um, episodes I guess you would say um, constantly apologizing and saying well you didn't mean that and it's it's gonna be okay and we're gonna get it together and um, so I continued to enable the behavior and, and a lot of times I, I would go uh, to somebody in our church and say I, I, I don't know what else to do and probably 10-12 years of counseling honestly over 
um, how to make a relationship work, and yet we didn't seem to make a lot of progress, in my opinion. And and a lot of that too was, you know, my inability to stand up and say this is this is not good, and we shouldn't be doing it like this. I wanted to have things work, and I kept trying to figure out the way that they would. Um, I, I wasn't without fault. Um, there were things I'm sure I did that were very upsetting. Um, I, I was I was the weak one, you know. I di I didn't stand up. I didn't say anything. I um, but, but I'm, I'm sure I have a passive side too that 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 made things a little bit more difficult to mm -hmm. for us both. Both very differing personalities and a uh, and inside the home. Uh, life that seemed very sad and right. oppressive. Now, we've talked a lot about this, and, and you didn't realize at the time what was going on, but now uh, through the various counselings and, and programs that, that you've been involved with, um, there was a lot of addictive behavior in the home, both on both sides. Uh, so talk a little bit about how those looked, what was how those manifest in your in your daily life? So early on. Yeah. Okay, so um, like I, I talked about, there was an accident that he went through the windshield early on in our relationship before we ever got married. And he um, he was prescribed a, a, a lot of pain medication. And at this time, this was this was a very long time ago, and, and doctors would, would literally give you what we would call the thermos. I mean, in our family, it was called the, you know, the thermos. We'd go get a, call a doctor on the phone. They'd give you the thermos of pain medicine. I mean, and it was a hundred. And I know he struggled with back issues after the accident, and, and, and I, I believe that's leg a legitimate issue. I, I, I do believe over time, though, that, that became a complete dependency on on pain medication that um, caused him to be very non-existent in our family. So after we, we some time and and some treatment on his part, um, the the anger lessened to a degree, um, and then we just ended up with a a complete absence of a relationship. Really, um, he lived on one floor, I lived on another floor, and although there was no screaming and punching in of light switches and yelling and abuse. There, there was nothingness. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about this little guy. Okay, so he's not in the picture before that. Um, Get this picture. That's a mm -hmm. cute one of him. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, who is this? That's Jacob. Mm -hmm. He's two in that picture. Um, He's right there in the middle of the picture of those kids that um, were pictured right before that. Okay, we'll talk about Jacob. So, uh, what's this verse mean to you? Okay, two big questions. Now. I know. I'm. 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 I'm, I'm pumping you. <laughs> <laughs> so this verse was on our refrigerator. This was something that he made in in church when he was a little. I mean, just a little bitty guy, and you know he couldn't write or say so he you know it's <laughs> that's what they taught them back in, in, in church and and you stick it on your fridge because it's the only thing they've ever made when they were two and you thought oh, 
that's so cute. And you think you'll throw that away in a week and they'll never know. Um, thankfully, that verse stayed on our refrigerator for a really long time. And I, I bet it, there's not one person in here that if I said, what does Psalm 119, 160 say? Probably no one ever quotes that. Um, I do all the time because it came to mean a whole lot to me, especially after um, September the 15th in yeah. year 2000. So let's talk about that day. Let's talk about September 15th. Um, what was going on that day? So um, my ex-husband was in bed on what I think they were calling a drug-induced coma. He was having some severe back spasms that didn't seem to let up. And after medication and medication, it, it, it didn't really improve. So I, one doctor decided that the best uh, solution would be to not use it for an extended period of time so that it eventually it would it would lessen up and and then he would hopefully regain more use of his back so the the protocol was to pump as much pain medication into him darken the room and leave him alone for w weeks until um, hopefully the back pain would lessen so he was upstairs in bed on this drug-induced coma, and I had a, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and an 11-month-old. Uh, they were all outside. They were all playing on the playground. Uh, my mom was coming over for a cookout, and um, we were getting ready to grill out on our grill. Um, My oldest got a splinter in her finger, and we all went upstairs. I got the tweezers out, took the splinter out of her finger. They all stared around at the splinter. I got it out, went to put the uh, tweezers away, and I said, you guys go down, go outside, clean up the playground. Grammy's going to be here in just a few minutes. Let's all get ready to have dinner. Um, they headed down the steps. I put the tweezers away. I looked over at my ex-husband to make sure he was still breathing. I headed down the steps. I landed in the kitchen, which overlooked our backyard. And um, I looked out to make sure they were cleaning up and getting ready for dinner. And um, I saw uh, one of my daughters out there cleaning up. One of them I had in a high chair in the kitchen. And I didn't see the other one and I called out and I said Where, where's Jacob and my daughter said I don't I don't know where he went uh, so I I called again I called again we had a couple of acres at the time wasn't common for anybody to venture off into the acreage uh, but I I said where where did you, you were in charge of Jacob where did he go I don't know so I, I closed the door, and then there was something in me that said, no, he's not. This, this isn't good. So I ran out, started looking everywhere in the world for him, went to the front yard, uh, went to the backyard, went to the neighbor's yard, and then suddenly a man that, that normally cuts grass in the neighborhood popped by, and I said, have you seen Jacob? He said, I, I haven't. And at that point, I w was totally panicked, and I said, um, can you help me look for him? And he said, he's in the pool. And I said, no, he's not. I already looked there. And I had. I looked, and, and I didn't see him. Um, but the, the guy pulled him out, and he dragged him into the kitchen. And he 
he didn't know how to do CPR. So we just laid there. And because we were out in the country a little bit, it took a while for EMS to get there. I mean, a long while, it seemed like. And I had to go upstairs and do my best to drag my husband out of bed and say, can you do CPR? He's, he's on the floor. Um, and they did come. And the paramedics pushed me outside and said, you can't be in here. And all I remember is falling on my knees in the front yard and saying, God, save my baby. I know you can. I know you can. And I remember with 100% certainty believing that if anybody in the world believed in second chances, it would be God and he would save my baby. And the, uh, they actually called the helicopter. The helicopter landed in our yard, and they took him up, and I asked the paramedic, is he, is he okay? Is he going to be okay? He's okay. And they wouldn't answer me. Um, we did have a policeman friend who came with a police car and took us with the lights on down to the hospital where he was, down to the children's hospital. And I, I said the whole way there, he's going to be okay. God knows it. he's going to be okay. God does these things. This is why God does these things. And we walked in, and the faces just of the nurses, I just knew. I just knew. And they already had him there, and they said he, he just didn't make it. Thanks for sharing that. That's tough. Yeah. So now, um, talk about the aftermath, the, um, the overwhelming grief. And um, the, we talked about this last night a little bit, about how it shook your faith. Definitely. So in the in the yard, you know, when you plead to God and, and, you know, I remember thinking that what I was taught was is that when you pray those things to God, you, your heart needs to be 100 percent certain that God's going to do that. And I remember thinking, God, I am. I'm certain you can do this. And he didn't. And so part of me kept trying to figure out what it was that I didn't measure up with God in order for him to say, I choose not to do that for you. There's something about my life or something about the way I'm walking that had God say, I'm not going to give you your son back. And so for years, I, and, and I had so many blessings along the way. I mean, we, we got meals for, for two years um, from our church family. We um, had people that would just drop by and give us things. We had, um, I know, tons of prayer support, which honestly just has to carry you through a time that I, a lot of it I don't remember. Um, I have four other little, three other little kids at the time, and um, a blur of a life. So um, I did, after the the flurry of preparing your two-year-old in a casket and packing his things away and lying in the floor of his room and and knowing he'd never touch that blanket again. It, was, it seemed like more than God would give to somebody, but, but it isn't. Um, so I questioned and said, God, I... 
I just don't understand you. Um, if you're all knowing, if you're all loving, how is this loving to him? How could he suffer? How could he go through what he had to go through? And how will we survive this end of it? And honestly, without the support and the prayers and people who would just, one person who just showed up at my doorstep and said, I don't know you. God told me to come here and I'm supposed to pray with you. And I just said, okay, okay. And t for 10 years, she was one of my closest friends because she, she got it and she didn't leave. She stuck through it. I mean, snot-nosed, hysterical despair to God. How do I get through this? And, and yet two, two close friends that walked beside me that endured all that for, for a good 10 years. I appreciate you sharing it. That's a hard story. So uh, do you still believe this? All your words are true? Absolutely. So... Oh. A good part of what I wondered about was asking God, if you are all loving and all knowing, how would you allow this? And I went to a Faces of Christ retreat. And, you know, I, I sat with people who, you know, were, were upset because they'd lost a job or um, they had a difficult relationship with their in-laws. And I sat there very self-righteously saying, if you only knew what I've gone through, you don't have a clue what being upset's about. And I had a really big resentment um, that I had to deal with. And I went through the whole week, and, and I, I really saw myself in a picture of a crossroads that I'm either going to believe that God is who he says he is, or I'm going to have to go the other route and say, you know, based on my experience, there can't be a God that allows this kind of thing because it seems impossible to live through. And I went through that experience, and I remember, and I hope I don't ruin it for anybody who's not been, but they, they ask you to take an object while you're there, and you, you carry it around. You have to carry it everywhere you go. And I, I grabbed a baseball, didn't know why I had it. And over time, I realized that that baseball represented my son and, and the baseball he'd never play, the sports that he would never be a part of. And at the end of the week, they ask you to physically give your thing back to Jesus. And I, I was the last day and I didn't want to. I really didn't want to. But I spent a lot of time in prayer then saying, God, if this, if, if you are who you are, then allow me to take the road that says you are who you are. And I handed it back to Jesus, and I actually knew who Jesus was dressed up, and he knew my story, and he didn't really even want to take it. He knew how hard it was for me to give it back. But I handed it over, and I said, take care of my son. And he grabbed it, and his hand was shaking, and mine was. And the minute I let it go, I said, God, you're good even when circumstances are bad. And the world is full of circumstances that we don't want. But that doesn't mean God is bad. 
or that he wants that for us or he's trying to punish us or he wants to show us how terrible we are so he's going to do something terrible to us. And so in that moment, I realized that's exactly what he wanted me to know was that all my words are true. What I say about me is true and you can trust that. And so isn't it interesting that there's a little angel on the side of that picture and that Jesus sits at the bottom of that picture that he had no idea when he put those on. That's exactly, exactly what his mom was going to need through life. And that's when God said, I am who I say I am. And I believed it. I don't know how to follow that up. So um, we know your story. Um, most people here don't. Um, there was a lot more for you to go through, and, and we don't have a lot of time. I think we could spend a couple of weeks talking about your story. Um, let's, let's flash forward to um, the end of your, your marriage and um, uh, just talk about that for a minute. So, I, uh, the distance became even greater. Um, we functioned as a family as we normally did. Um, my kids were getting older. I was beginning to foresee the exiting of them into their own lives and and leaving the house and me being left, you know, kind of with um, an emptiness. And when my oldest... Um, graduated from high school, and then my second oldest, who decided to be an overachiever and skip a year and graduate at the same time. Um, I had two high school graduates in the same year, and then my oldest got engaged right after high school and was going to be married, and and they were really like friends to me as they got older. We, we, we spent so much time together um, with them being girls and growing up together. Um, that I really grieved them leaving. And with them being gone, the distance just seemed even greater. Mm -hmm. So um, I... Uh, well, talk about how your kids responded to your, um, to your decision to, to get a divorce. Well, that well, that was did not go well at all. I mean, I I struggle with my own issues, and um, I don't know if you're going to ask about that, but um, I, I struggle with my own issues over time, and um, got me to a spot where um, you know I I I chose to take alcohol and and use alcohol, which I'd never experimented with really at all, and over time I I would fill that um, that gap of emptiness with with a lot of alcohol and I went very quickly from someone who had never had anything to drink to somebody who drank um, soon as they got up and as much as I could throughout the day and that seemed to uh, fill the void that I had of of emptiness and um, it definitely what became my, my coping mechanism okay so how did your children respond to the divorce um, it flash the next screen it, it it didn't it didn't go well at all. Um, in fact, once I, um, I I went somewhere to try to get some help for that, and um, when I came back, I I, I was deter I just had decided that the the best course of action for me um, 
I, when I went away, a, a lot of people from my church said, you go and you get help for yourself, but don't you come back and get a divorce. And I decided that it was time for me to make a decision for myself. And it was time for me to have a voice. And it was time for me to stand up for what I believed in. And I just declared, I, I'm not coming back. I'm not, I don't want to lose you guys. And I never thought I would. But I can't stay in this marriage. And from that point forward, they decided they, they weren't on board. So we, we only have a couple of minutes left. So basically, as we know that your kids... Uh, decided they didn't want to have a, a relationship with you any longer. Mm -hmm. They even stated that, mm -hmm. uh, said, uh, in fact, uh, your second oldest daughter said, I will never step into that house with yeah. that man, me, yeah. uh, in it. Um, this picture here, what, what was this picture? So the, that's, a, that's, a, that's a long time coming. Um, we got married, and um, I remember telling some of the girls that we, we talked to down at Priscilla's place that, um, you know, losing a child by death is, seems like a horrific experience, but honestly, being without your children that are within an arm's length of you that you don't have a relationship is, is near the same type of, of pain. And I remember lying on my floor by myself feeling like, I cried so hard that my eyelids were turned inside out. And I just, I missed my children. And I, I just never believed that the, the things that I did would, would alienate them from me forever. Um, and yet, I didn't get to pick the circumstances or the consequences of what I got from, from where I put myself. And so... Um, over time, I remember Cindy <laughs> telling me to just look for small evidences that God is working behind the scenes. And without that, I would have been completely devastated, wondering why, again, such great loss. But I did. I began to see little things that God was doing here and there and, and little bitty text and maybe just an answer to a text or just um, sharing a picture with me or um, actually even saying hello to me at a volleyball game when before they completely ignored me. So little things began to appear. And I began to believe that I, I knew if God could restore what had happened when Jacob died, that he could restore even now. And it took your help and your constant belief that God has this story all written for his glory. And when I, this was, um, this picture was taken last June when I turned 50. And I told him I didn't want a surprise party because the first people you invite to your party when you have a big event or your kids. And I knew they didn't want to come. So I said, please don't do anything. Don't surprise me. I don't want anything like that. Because I, all I really want is to be with my kids. Well, he didn't listen. <laughs> and he invited a bunch of you guys who make me just as happy as anybody else to come see all you guys and they showed up so my daylight family became my new family 
And somehow through the works, my hardest headed child that had said that I was the worst mother she'd ever met decided to get everybody together and they came. And since then, there's been little, more little evidences that God is working behind the scenes a lot more. So God is rebuilding in his time. So we're, at the, we're running out of time, so talk about that. <laughs> I had to show that one. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of the greatest things God has given me. <laughs> um, totally different definition of what marriage looks like. Um, I, I remember coming here when we were dating from a, a, a distance and sitting with HL and saying, is this the wrong thing? What if my kids don't come back? What should we not get married? And I remember HL looking at me and saying, oh, no, I know. Make a statement. You guys stand together for God. Stand together and be in unison and you guys get married. And I thought, okay, okay. Because I knew that there was something different about our relationship. And I knew because we shared a recovery story that is very difficult to blend when two addicts come together and struggle with issues. It's difficult to bring those together and not have issues. But I knew that there was absolutely a gift in what he had given me in marrying him. And I still believe that. <laughs> so is this your definition of life today? Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we don't have that other one. This is, um, there you go. <laughs> that's my arm. <laughs> um, so that, I, I remember people telling me when I, when I decided that I wouldn't move forward in my marriage before, and them saying to me, people in my church before saying, you'll, you'll never be blessed. God has removed his umbrella of protection from you, and you will never be blessed again. And I remember for the first time saying, that's not true. That is not true. God will bless me. And so I did, you know, people would say to me, you know, you're an embarrassment to your children and you, you, the way you look is different and, and you should dress more appropriately to having homeschool children. And I just said, you know, what the heck with that? <laughs> so I went and I decided that this, by the grace of God, is how I will live the rest of my life because that is absolutely how I've gotten through every situation to this point that has given me um, a new story and new mercies every day. So I wanted to make it very evident that I believed that God loves me as an individual, even if I have a tattoo, even if I wear funny socks, which is really what somebody said to me, and um, even if I'm divorced, and even if I have a story as an alcoholic, God loves me because my heart is for him and my heart is for him to redeem all of this. And there is only hope because of what he's done. Well, thank you for sharing. She did not want to do this. <laughs> so if you couldn't tell how nervous she was, I could. So um, I appreciate her story. There's so much more to it. If you don't know her, if you want to get to know her, please do. She's an awesome lady. She's an awesome uh, person to, to be with. Uh, our life is not perfect by any means, but it is certainly better than any life we both have ever had. Um, 
and she's also an awesome real estate agent, so she, that's the new part of the new story. So um, if um, we need to call it a day, so I'm going to ask Andrew to come up and pray, and thank you for taking the time to listen to us.